This is not a particularly beautiful fall day, but we've had many beautiful fall days, haven't we? Yesterday, for example, was a beautiful fall day. And over the weekend, and this particular time of the year, I enjoy getting out into the countryside, as perhaps you do as well. And particularly this time of year in Michigan, we see the machinery out in the fields harvesting the grains and the corns and the varieties of crops that come ripe at this time of year. As we look at that machinery, it should remind us of the olden days when they did not have the great machines that they have now. When they did it all by hand. And a beautiful description of that you can find in the book of Ruth where they went out and they harvested by hand and they cut it down with blades and handheld instruments and they would gather it together. And as they would gather the grains together, they would take them into a compound that was separated with stone and and wall, the, the threshing floor. And they would put the grains in the center of this enclosure And they would bring in cattle and horse-drawn vehicles and they would go in a circular fashion around the piles of grain. And it would crush the stalks. And then they would bring a winnowing fork and they would throw the refuse up into the air and the wind would blow away the chaff and the undesirable parts and the grain would remain. Then they would take the grain and store it. Great difficulty. Hard work. It's hard enough work with machinery, but particularly hard work in that day by hand. That picture John the Baptist used to describe Jesus. We read in Luke chapter 3, you don't have to turn there because we're not going to study it, but I just want you to see the description. It says in Luke chapter 3, verse 15, As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. He used a very simple, common, everyday picture to describe the work of Christ. Christ will separate. And there are a number of parables and descriptions in Scripture of that separation. The sheep from the goats is one picture. But a day awaits us when Christ will separate people. And one of the criteria 
that he will use to separate the sheep from the goats, the winnowing fork, if you will, is holiness. And we will look at that verse this morning as the foundation of our study, and that is in Hebrews chapter 12. So you can turn there, because we will look at it and use it as the foundation for our study today. A separation will occur with holiness as the winnowing fork, if you will. The criteria upon which Christ the judge will determine those who enter into his glory and those who will be cast into the lake of fire that will burn forever. So Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse number 14, and I'll read just a couple of verses that follow because they kind of link together. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. We'll start with the criteria of holiness. The holiness without which no one will see the Lord. As you contemplate that particular word and that thought... There's three options available. One option is man-made holiness. Man-achieved holiness. Good works. Something that you would try to do on your own to please and satisfy God and make Him accept you. And find your list of good things longer than your list of bad things. The good and bad's canceling out until you get to the bottom of the bad list and you have some good things left over. And God says, well done, welcome. Could be man-made righteousness. It could also be perfect, absolute holiness. And we've looked at that, especially last week. How in Christ we stand before God absolutely holy. Because we stand in Christ. And we saw how the scriptures tell us in John seventeen nineteen. We also saw in Hebrews 10, verses 10 through 14. And we could also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 how that holiness, that sanctification, Christ completed on the cross. And when the Father accepted His blood atonement, On behalf of sinners like you and like me, it was done. Not possibly done. Done. Completed, purchased, bought, signed, sealed, and delivered. (laughs) So it could mean 
perfect righteousness, holiness. There's another option, and that is progressive holiness that comes about by the work of the Spirit of God in our lives on a progressive basis. Those are the the three options. So in looking at the verse, we must try and determine which of these three it is. Well, we can eliminate the first one very quickly because the scriptures make it absolutely clear that my works will not, cannot satisfy God. My very best righteousnesses, the scriptures say, are nothing but a filthy rag in God's eyes. And the scriptures tell us, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we can eliminate that option right off the top. It cannot be something that you and I do in and of ourselves in an attempt to satisfy and please God. So that leaves us with two options. Either it is absolutely perfect righteousness or it is progressive righteousness and holiness. Well, the text gives us a very good clue and clarifies for us which one it is. And we find it if you back up a few words from the term holiness. And you come to the verse the part of the verse that says strive. Now depending on your translation, it might say pursue, it might say seek, make every effort. Make every effort. There's a number of different depending on your translation, but it basically describes a hunter. Like some of you are and will do next week. Or you will go in pursuit of game and you will hunt it down you will pursue after it you will look for clues and you will try to find a place appropriate to where that deer might come by you where you can have a chance to kill it you pursue after it it describes continuous progressive effort in pursuit of an aim or a goal since that's how it is described that I am to pursue after holiness it cannot then be the perfect holiness because perfect holiness comes to me as a gift from God I do nothing to earn it I cannot pursue it I cannot deserve it it is something that Jesus Christ purchased for me on the cross and the Father imputed it to me it's a gift so therefore it cannot be the perfect righteousness because I can't pursue that one. So it leaves us with the third option, which is it is describing in some fashion a progression in holiness that I pursue after, that I seek after, that I want to have develop 
in my life as a child of God. Now, this comes with a warning. And the warning is, unless you have some measure of holiness, you will not be accepted and approved. Now, we know as children of God, we stand complete in Christ. So that the holiness that the Father requires of us, we have. I have it already in Christ. You, as a follower of Christ, as one who has come to saving faith in Jesus, the Savior of sinners, the substitute, as you have trusted Him, when you trusted Him, you also received that gift. Now the progressive holiness that God requires of us, the scriptures describe it as a command, as a demand. We are to grow progressively more holy. It isn't just this one verse that we find in Hebrews that declares that we must pursue holiness. But there are other references, and we won't take the time to look at all of the references. I would like you to look at a couple of them. One of them you'll find in 1 John chapter 3, where we find a, another directive to pursue after holiness. 1 John 3. I'll start at the first verse. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Now think about that for a moment. (laughs) That's not what I want to point out, but just think about it for a moment. The Father counts you as His child. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself, as He is pure. Notice it says, everyone. We have this error common in the church of Jesus Christ in our day that we somehow have developed the notion that holiness is a second level. The first level is salvation. 
But if you really want to be sincere about this, then you go to a second level, and maybe a third level, and maybe a fourth level, and maybe a fifth level. But that's, you know, those are options. Those are options. You don't really have to, all you really have to do is be saved. No, no, that's wrong. The scriptures don't teach that. The scriptures teach that everyone who has the hope of one day dwelling with Christ in the eternity that he is preparing for them pursues holiness. It's not an option. It's not a second level, a third, a fourth, a fifth option that if you really want to be serious about God you can do that but really all that matters is just being saved. No. God calls us to personal holiness. Now another reference is in Romans which is one of my favorite books. I remember when I was a youngster preaching to my grandparents and my aunt and uncle from the book of Womans. <laughs> Obviously I didn't know much about the book of Womans back then, but I enjoy the book of Romans. Chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says this, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Offer yourself. Yield yourself. Can I come back to you, Paul? Okay, write it down so you don't forget it. Offer yourself, present yourself, yield yourself to God that He might work in you righteousness leading unto sanctification. An ongoing work that God does in the life of a believer, making the believer increasingly more holy increasingly more like Christ now I want us to look at the warning because the warning is without it without it you will be rejected How can we tell? What are some signs, some signals, some symptoms, if you will, that we can examine that might give us a hint as to whether or not we are on this path? Well, holiness is not morality. You can be moral 
and not holy. Because morality really only has to do with externals. You cannot, however, be holy and not moral. There is no such thing as immoral holiness. Holiness within will produce moral behavior. So it is greater than morality. If you examine yourself and say, well, I'm a moral guy. I don't steal. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't rob banks. I don't kill anybody. That's morality. A lot of people are moral. A lot of unbelievers are moral. Holiness is not morality. Or I should say, morality is not holiness. Holiness will produce morality. Holiness is not legalism. Or Phariseeism. The Pharisees, as you know, prided themselves in their religiosity. The Pharisee that stood praying when the Lord Jesus gave the the parable of the of the Pharisee and the and the tax collector praying, and the Pharisee described himself as righteous before God, righteous in the law. I tithe of everything. I fast twice a week, which, by the way, was not in the law. Nowhere in the law were they commanded to fast twice a week. They were only, in fact, commanded to fast twice a year. He fasted twice a week. The Pharisees of that day prayed hours reciting parts of the Old Testament in their prayers extremely religious and you all know the verse that Jesus quoted in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees you shall all likewise perish So it's not Phariseeism. It's not legalism. It is not a perfect attendance record every Sunday in church and reading your Bible and saying daily prayers and giving to the poor and giving to the church and doing good deeds in the church and helping the poor and helping the widows. Those are all fine things. But that's not holiness. Furthermore, as we examine holiness, holiness does not allow for the hope and the desire within us when we imagine repeating and doing those sins we love to do. That's not holiness.
nor is holiness described by our condoning or perhaps even delighting in the sins of others. Sometimes we get a kick out of seeing someone sin, don't we? Especially if it is done against someone that we kind of have trouble with. (laughs) No, that's not holiness. Holiness describes someone who is not one person on Sunday and a different one Monday through Saturday. There is a unity, if you will, in their lives. Not hypocritical. Not a hypocrite. Consistency in life. Holiness also describes someone who increasingly becomes more and more like Christ. The scriptures tell us, Romans chapter 8, that he chose us to conform us unto the image of Christ. We should be becoming increasingly more like Christ. Not living life on the fringe. Too often we live our lives, can I do this and still be a Christian? That's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. That's trying to live life on the fringe. Holiness can also be described by having a desire to be like Christ. Do you want to be like Christ? Do you really? Is that the sincere intent and desire of your heart? Is to become more and more like Christ? Not seeing how little you have to become like Him? but actually hungering, pursuing, seeking after, desiring to be like Christ. That describes holiness. Not in its totality, but it will begin to give you some criteria upon which you can examine yourself. Am I becoming more and more holy? Or less and less holy? Well, what conclusions can we draw just from these brief examinations? Because God requires that His children become increasingly more like Christ and progressively more holy. Therefore, we who call ourselves children of God 
must pursue after holiness. Not just think about it, not just debate it back and forth in our minds whether we should or we shouldn't, or do I or don't I, do I really want to or don't I want to, and is it convenient, and what will that mean? We must pursue after holiness. Since that is true, it carries then some implications upon us. We must examine ourselves. Do I want to become like Christ? Have I made the pursuit after holiness something which I pursue and desire to see transform my life? It means also that we must reject that which is evil. And granted, for all of us, there are a lot of things out there that are evil that we really enjoy, don't we? Yeah, sometimes it's all in the mind. We don't actually do it. And since we don't actually do it, we we somehow pat ourselves on the back. Well, I guess I'm really not too bad then. Well, you know, Jesus said it's the heart. It's the heart. That's the difference between morality and holiness is in the heart. We must reject that which is evil. It will call for us to repent and turn from that which is evil to pursue after holiness. It will call for us and demand that we rest upon God's divine intervention in our lives to do something which we cannot do on our own. Now we will not take the time in today's study to pursue that aspect of it. We will do that in succeeding studies. But we cannot do it on our own. It's not our own self-righteousness that pleases God. But we pursue after that righteousness which God himself produces in us. We saw that and hinted at in Romans chapter 6 verse 19. Where we yield ourselves unto God. We offer ourselves unto God. And he produces in us that conformity to Christ which he desires and demands. We will also look at a second thing in upcoming sessions, and that is that this isn't just a personal thing. We have a great tendency to individualize Christianity. That's just a personal thing. What the church does is something entirely different. No, 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 no. The church must pursue holiness. It's not just you and me as individuals. That must be the desire and the aim and the goal and the purpose of the collection of believers as well. Our purpose as a church must be to pursue after holiness. It isn't just individuals. Because you will see as we go through it that the references 
that describe God's work they're plural nouns and plural pronouns it's not just individuals it's the collection of saints and we will pursue that in a successive study so Hebrews 12:14 Pursue after seek after holiness which God requires of us and he will use as a criteria to separate sheep from goats